Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. This podcast is all about talking about race and diversity in New Zealand, and we also ask Kiwis to come onto the show and share their stories and insights, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. And today, I actually cannot believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to invite Chloe Swarbrick onto the show. Woo! Wait, how can you not believe it? I didn't <laughs> want that one time. I, I know, I know, but still, like, it's just so amazing to say that. Like, you're actually such a queen, and if you don't know who she I'm is... I'm not. Yeah. Yes. Um, if you don't know who she is, she's Green MP and does a whole lot of awesome things and she's champion for young people. And I'm personally really stoked and I cannot believe that I am on a podcast with Amal. It's so. <laughs> so cool to have you on board. Does it feel good to be back behind the microphone? It feels really good. I actually love it when I manage to get back into um, particularly doing student radio and community radio, but um, any opportunity that I have to do radio because um, I had this thing where I remember at high school and then obviously later at uni when I started at BFM thinking about what my like good characteristics are that I could sell myself on as an mm-hmm. adult and I was like pretty much the only thing is my yarning voice like my you yeah. know, my, <laughs> my ability to conversate good yeah that's what we're all about here headscarves and good yarn so I'm like glad to get into the Hopefully chat with you um, so where, where's home for you where are you like from I'm um, born and bred in Tamaki Makoto Auckland um, and I am I mean speaking to the history of the place um, I was ashamed that I actually didn't know that much about the history of the place until I went to law school and was mm-hmm. fortunate enough to study the treaty uh, but I think that that's ultimately demonstrative of how we have to have a better education uh, system which is more reflective of our real history uh, in this country and I actually brought that up uh, for the first time that I got to do a treaty speech in the house in parliament and uh, spoke about you know my experience and the uh, that was an settlement for a local um, uh, Auckland iwi uh, and I brought that up and I was heckled um, in the house by the opposition who were really unhappy about the fact that I was speaking about how I you know had to acknowledge my privilege and otherwise and it was a bit of a weird situation because oftentimes in treaty settlement legislation there is uh, cross-partisanship Mm-hmm. So anyway, that kind of filters it down into, I guess, the um, both the history of where I'm from and how I've come to grips with it uh, in modernity. I, I think that's a totally fair enough point. It's totally not your fault. Just the way that we're kind of brought up, we don't really have that proper relationship. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think that, um, I mean, in Aotearoa, New Zealand in particular, uh, most people, particularly down here in Southland, aren't aware of our history with regard to Chinese immigrants. Uh, but we also don't have a great uh, grasp as a country on the treaty uh, or on the history of colonisation here. There's actually a really fascinating uh, podcast by RNZ, um, I think it's called Black Sheep, and they did a deep dive on the history of white supremacy uh, in Aotearoa and uh, followed through uh, some of the really bizarre myths that we have um, in you know this country about uh, what the world or sorry what the country was like pre-colonization um, anyway there's there's a lot to be said about all of that wow so 
you're you're a politician. I am. Yes. <laughs> How Which does, is a weird thing yeah. to say. <laughs> How does race come up in the like political world? Are there like certain topics that only certain people can talk about? Like for example, the treaty um, or yeah, like how does it come so up? So on, on the treaty stuff, um, we made a conscious decision in our Green Caucus that we didn't want the only person to be speaking on treaty issues to be Marama Davidson, which is our presently our only Māori um, member of caucus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the issues of race uh, and you know, race relations, we didn't want Gores Gahraman to be the only person speaking on that in our caucus. So uh, we have made active attempts to uh, ensure that our other MPs are either speaking on those issues Mm -hmm. uh, and ensuring that those don't just fall to the people who are often marginalised and expected to speak on those issues, but also that there is um, surrounding support when necessary. But I mean, particularly speaking to the experiences of being a young woman on the internet when you add the element of race into it and you see what Marama and Gores have been subject to whether you agree or disagree with them from a political standpoint the kind of fact that there is very much a racial undertone is quite disturbing in a country that, that, that it's fancies t- itself as, as, as progressive as we think that we are yeah, it's really interesting because we're actually quite a mounting pot of a country. But then yep. you have people like Golrez who come onto a really a big platform mm-hmm. and then they just get all these ridiculous comments about where they're from instead of totally. where we should be discussing proper stuff. Totally. Yeah, and I mean, um, Golrez also um, isn't a Muslim, but is uh, often, I think, because um, she's from Iran uh, and sounds and looks the way she does and as our first ever uh, member of parliament with a refugee background uh, for some reason uh, and I mean therein actually lies an element of quite severe racism that there's presumptions about where she's from and who she was supposed to speak for in uh, the same way that Gores is supposed to speak for all refugees in the country I'm somehow supposed to speak for all young people in the country and just those uh, kind of false pigeonholes are really unconstructive to conversation uh, but Ultimately, I think that they can take quite a heavy toll on people. Mm. I I think yeah, it's really interesting when you have like one person that kind of represents a minority group. We're supposed then, to, yeah, and then they just become that big topian, yeah. token and champion yeah, for, yeah. for that group, and they're meant to represent all of their voices. Mm-hmm. But then again, having those kind of people mm-hmm. on in politics and government is really really important to have that visibility and that's the difference between um, representation and tokenism eh? Mm. it's that um, representation is about genuine engagement with a group of people and recognising that a group of people who are a collective because of shared characteristic criteria or otherwise aren't homogenous in the views that they hold so this is the same kind of thing that is often a debate that occurs within the disability community Uh, people presume to speak for the disability community because they've spoken to one NGO um, Mm -hmm. within the disability community but not recognising that there is a diversity of views Uh, and so that's kind of the, the issue around representation. But where we get tokenism is it becomes this checkbox exercise of going, we've got this one person um, and we're going to put Fills them around the, the table. Um, yeah, totally. It's, it's essentially <laughs> just filling a quota and it's not about actually um, unpicking and recognising perhaps its conscious biases that have kept these people, uh, you know, who are by virtue of the fact that they are different to the regular demographic kept out of those kinds of spaces. It's the same kind of thing, right, where I frequently reflect on how in Parliament 
I don't think that age um, in itself is a validating factor. I don't think that it's a validating factor for myself as now a 25-year-old. I don't think that it should be a validating factor for someone who's 55. But Mm. the thing is, because I am different by virtue of my age... I'm expected to consistently legitimise and validate myself, whereas those who are older just kind of slip in <laughs> to the to That's the critical so mouth, true. mass. Yeah. And I think that that is a problem because you know, you know, we have to work a whole lot harder as younger people to be seen, you know, on the same level, whereas other people have default assumptions made about them because they fit the genuine, uh, sorry, the general demographic. I think we need to challenge ourselves as to what the normal is. Totally. Like, I, I just don't understand how in a world where we have a variety of ages, variety of cultures, mm. where the normal is just like old white guys. <laughs> well, I, think, I think one of the, the big issues that we've got, right, is that frequently um, the argument against uh, notions of quotas or against the idea of affirmative action or even against the idea of bringing up diversity as an issue is the pushback becomes, uh, but we want people who are qualified the thing is, there are immense numbers of people of colour who are qualified. There are immense numbers, immense numbers of women who are qualified. There are immense numbers of young people who are qualified. Uh, but the barriers and hoops that they have to jump through are far higher than somebody who may fit a certain demographic, mm. who has mates of that demographic. And that's kind of the notion of the old boys network, right? So in order to um, break that down, uh, we do have to do a lot of self-reflection. And I think that we also have to think about it and kind of the two spheres that I frequently talk about when it comes to political change on the one side of things it's like the structural change which is legislation regulation funding taxation incentives subsidies contracts treaties all those things uh, inherently have some form of biases because they were created by people and people inherently come to the table with their own perspectives and if there isn't a diversity of opinion around the table in creating those things then they ultimately end up for probably by neglect uh, not being ultimately sustainable or workable Mm. for everybody in a community. So then we have to look at the cultural side of things and culture I think is frequently neglected in the conversations that we have around political change but culture by definition is a shared set of values and that's really important for people to recognise because frequently when we talk about culture people use it synonymously with race or ethnicity or religion or otherwise and yeah it absolutely is frequently seen in those contexts because people do uh, when they congregate and build community share values but culture by definition is about a shared set of values so different touch points for culture are things like education Uh, Mm. it's fundamentally about awareness Uh, it's media it's community building it's uh, collective action and that's where you know just circling back to the conversation we were having at the beginning if there was a really robust educative system in this country that spoke to our real history then people wouldn't be would be raised challenging the the structures that have been built off the back of things like colonization um, which for some reason or another is still really controversial to say but it's just a historical fact that that is how things chronologically progressed uh, and we build greater empathy for people who we perceive as being different mm. I think yeah colonization has that emotional tie to it right when people I think people feel attacked yeah when <laughs> emotions get into it, it's hard to have like an objective like conversation about it and just speak um, pure facts so talking about the whole culture versus mm. legislation side of things mm. if we wanted to 
create that change and to have a government where diversity wasn't something we're pushing for. It's just normal. By norm. Yeah, totally. What should we emphasize more? Like, it's kind yeah. of like a chicken versus the egg totally, thing, totally, right? Totally. But at this stage, what would you think we should push for more? Because yeah, culture's so kind of hard to change. Culture culture is and Takes can t- be difficult to change. Um, so, I mean, on the structural side of things, if you're looking at increasing um, diversity, then you can do stuff like affirmative action. But actually, I think that culture is really worth investigating because that's where you can have long-term sustainable impact. So it's stuff like education. It's stuff like changing the way that the media frames up. If you're talking about justice stories and the way that, um, you know, young brown men are characterized versus particularly in for example an area that I've become you know I had no involvement in up until two years ago Uh, but if you look at the characterization of demographics in uh, drug stories Mm -hmm. and you look at the way that courts treat you know first-time young Pakeha offenders versus first-time Māori offenders and the way that um, aggravated and aggravating and mitigating factors are taken into account uh, in the courts and you look at the way that the story is framed up, um, I think we do have to uh, have a look at our unconscious biases. But on top of all that stuff, um, my friend Bison Nike, who's an awesome artist uh, in Tamaki Makoto in Auckland, um, we grew up and went to Intermediate together. Uh, he recently did an interview where he was spe- speaking about code switching um, mm-hmm. and about the notion of you know being a Pacifica boy going into white spaces and basically how you start talking in a different way and behaving in a different way yeah. because you are no longer within the space where your way of behaving is perceived as the norm. Uh, and he was talking about how frequently in Auckland people say, oh, you know, we're, we're a melting pot, we're a diverse city, and they claim that we are one of the most diverse cities in the world. But if you're not actually willing to engage with people of a different culture or a different background or a different ethnicity or a different religion, uh, then why are you holding that out as something that you celebrate? You're just kind of like, we're all in these gated communities and we recognize that other people are out there, but we're not willing to actually do mm. the melting pot thing. It's like all the ingredients are just out there just on the <laughs> table, not actually mixed, bro. Mm. Yeah. Oh man, I feel that so hard. I yeah. feel that so hard. Uh, yeah, yeah. Bryson, Bryson's solid. And that's, that's the thing which is really awesome about, um, yeah, up north in Auckland is, um, you know, there is some incredible, um, particularly out of creative movements, and this is what's really fascinating about the cultural sphere is that it's so awesomely challenging the norm. Um, groups like Fafswag, um, which oh, is, yes. yeah, yes, a, a, a yeah, dance um, vogue troupe um, and also actually kind of a creative collective uh, of queer Pacifica people. Um, and they've done some incredible work to uh, challenge the way that we think, not just about uh, the rainbow community or the Pacifica community, but also how we think about creativity and how mm. Eurocentric it frequently is in a country like this. That's so, that's so interesting that you brought up the arts, actually, because a couple of weeks ago, the Officer of Ethnic Affairs, sorry, I can't remember all the titles. <laughs> yeah. She was really cool, Jeannie. Mm. Her name's Jeannie. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, she hey, came Jeannie. down to... Um, <laughs> Dunedin to talk to Muslim women about how do we move on um, from Christchurch and mm. a big thing that came through was like we actually just need a chance to get to know each other like we, totally. yeah we know that we're there are different communities out there yeah. but there's just no opportunity for us to like melt or mix mm-hmm. as you say and then another thing that came up as well was well we all love food we all mm-hmm. connect with art in some way like it would be cool if we could combine those two like fill Massively. that gap yeah um, and that's where you um, that, that's the thing that I love about art and creativity is that it is an opportunity to bridge 
what are perceived differences through something that doesn't necessarily require language. So it is more about the very raw fundamental expression of values. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm such a nerd for it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I was actually, um, just before I came to Donna's uh, last night, I was in Invercargill and it was wild to me. I uh, met up with the people running uh, the public art gallery there and they actually don't have a physical space for the public art gallery no in 2014 um, subsequent to earthquaking earthquake uh, reports uh, their building closed down and they haven't had a home for five and a half years so you've got this homeless public art gallery which is currently cohabitated with uh, a library simply by virtue of some really passionate people and I was just thinking from a perspective of creativity you know we're not just talking there about an opportunity for a public space for people to congregate to celebrate difference to educate themselves about history uh, about tourism or economic or community development uh, we're actually talking about kids growing up in the regions who don't necessarily see opportunities uh, mm. that kids in urban areas have the opportunity to engage in the arts are honestly so so important yeah. that honestly blows my mind for five years they didn't have yeah. they do, and they still don't have one they still don't have one they're currently putting together grants for it so um, yeah it was, it was really rad to catch up with them because um, you know I've put on the record for sake of being accountable that I will go into bat for them hard uh, this obviously I'm the arts and culture spokesperson for the Greens uh, but it also so happens that the Minister for Arts and Culture is our Prime Minister. So oh, if you're listening, Jacinda, here you go. <laughs> this is a challenge. Um, I'll also be hitting up um, Mr. Grant Robertson. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll make it happen because I think that regardless of where you are in this country, you should have the same kinds of opportunities. And that's, again, about... Uh, diversity um it is again about recognizing that different communities need different things and that you cannot produce uh, homogenous solutions from wellington and expect that they're going to work everywhere at the bottom of the south to the top of the north culture is completely different here like i i'm I'm from wellington Mm. and i came down here for studies and just the difference is stark (laughs) like all my friends that i met here who are from the south island originally I'm pretty much the first black person that they've like met, which is crazy. Yeah. But yeah, the cultures are completely yeah. different across the yeah. country. And that's the other thing actually about representation in television shows and in media in general and about the types of characters that certain people of certain backgrounds or looks get to play, right? Um, and, you know, it's the same, the same can be said about people with disabilities, about um, the rainbow community, about people of different ethnic backgrounds, people who look different, um, you know, we've had the conversation about body types as well coming up over the past few years. Uh, so if, if we're going to say stuff for sake of political rhetoric, like diversity is our strength, then holy moly, can we just follow it through? Yeah, we need to walk the walk and talk the talk. Yeah, hey. yeah. Um, and that, that means actively reaching out to communities who look different to you, um, particularly if you're in a position of leadership or hold a, a space of privilege. And just getting back to that point that we were talking about at the top about how terminology like colonisation can be quite frightening for people to engage in, I think it's because people feel as though they're being personally attacked and they're being mm. told that they don't work hard or they're being told that they are only where they are because of the way that they were born or whatever. 
And the thing is, is that, you know, privilege and recognizing one's privilege isn't about saying that you haven't worked hard. It's about saying that your starting point in life and the way that people assume you, uh, see you and make presumptions or assumptions about you is different Mm. because of the way that you look. And that's not your fault. But it is important that you recognize that when you look in the mirror, like this was this was the analogy that really blew my mind. Um, when you look in the mirror as a, you know as a white kid growing up, you don't think about your race. I was talking to a Māori friend of mine growing up, and they were saying, "Yeah, when I look in the mirror, I see a Māori girl." And I was like, mm. "Wow, like that is a difference of opinion. That is a different perspective because." Pakeha are normalised in the media. And again, that's not about attacking people, but it is about recognising that we currently have a cultural norm and anything that diverges from that is challenged and has to validate and legitimise itself. Mm. And that is problematic. It is, yeah. yeah. For, like, speaking personally, I didn't realise I was different until I started going to school. Yeah. And then I got very, got, got, you know, quickly reminded that I was mm. different. Um, that's actually a very good segue because wh- yeah. I wanted to move away from the political world and kind of talk totally. about you as a person, as mm-hmm. a as a white woman yeah. navigating this thing called life mm-hmm. um, what, what's it like for you does it ever come up because often when we talk about um, white people there's mm-hmm. just the, the privilege aspect is kind of highlighted but are there any do you ever get like do you cop any bad shit from being a <laughs> white woman uh, I mean I think that there are really valid challenges laid by particularly mates of mine who are people of colour or Māori um, about occupying space mm-hmm. um, and that is always really good and important for me to be constructively critiqued because it means that you check your privilege uh, and thinking and reflecting as well about the language that you use and how it can reinforce negative stereotypes so yeah basically for me it's just uh, I get really constructive feedback when I do dumb stuff Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think things through properly about particularly the language that I'm using Um, and I find that to be an incredibly useful learning opportunity if you don't mind me asking, when yeah. was the last time you remember like being cr- uh, constructively criticised? Yeah, so like, oh. um, it was on Twitter. Um, I posted, uh, and this was just you know y- you quickly tweeting throughout the day when I'm in between meetings and going places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking about drug law reform, and quite frequently we use you know the black market synonymously with gangs. Mm-hmm. And I was just you know for sake of word count said something about how you know uh, we want to reduce gang control of drugs. And um, people, oh, and there was like a, a meme associated to it. And um, yeah, and people, um, quite a few of, quite a few people who I really respect um, hit me up and were like, hey, the use of the terminology gangs for sake of this argument reinforces really negative stereotypes about particularly brown people in this mm. country. Uh, and that is really important that you maintain a nuanced intelligent message like you've been trying to do but we're going to pull you up on this and this was the wrong way to phrase it this time um so i took down the tweet and i put out a thread just talking about how um i was i had become conscious or been made aware of um as a result of some incredible people who i surround myself with that this kind of language can ultimately be damaging in the long term even if it means that you might win the argument in the short term because it becomes uh, something that can be discussed inside a bubble of privilege but again it's still about othering Mm. Uh, and if you are ultimately winning your argument by scapegoating minorities, 
intentionally or unintentionally, then that's a big problem. So, um, yeah, that was that was the most recent time that something like that's happened. And there's ongoing conversations as well. Eh? Like, um, even if it's just reflecting on something that happens in the media or otherwise, and, you know, consistently, particularly um, with mates of mine um, who, you know, are Māori, uh, that you consistently update your um, knowledge and understanding, particularly your living understanding of the treaty and what it means in 2019 and onwards. That's so cool that you have that relationship with your friends. Yeah, well, it's important. (laughs) I mean, like, not a lot of people can say that they have relationships like that. Like, Mm. a lot of emotions do get involved. Yeah, they they do. And I I think, think, you know, it's, it's almost like a natural thing to get defensive when someone does tell you what you perceive to be is that you've done something wrong. But, um, you know, I also recognise that for um, friends of mine who come from a place of, you know, being a minority in particular, that there is a huge amount of emotional labour that comes into educating your friends about the stuff that they do. So I try and be cognizant of that as well, that, um, you know, if you if you become super hyper-defensive in response to someone telling, telling you that something, like, offends not just their sensibilities, but actually... Uh, who they are in the world and legitimizes other people to say terrible stuff about them then you kind of just need to actually take a minute to take a step back and go hold up this person has a genuine perspective and understanding of this thing it might be different from my perspective but I hold this position of power and privilege because I have a public platform so I need to be careful with that you know I think a lot of people wield their power and their privilege quite flippantly um, and that can be really destructive when you're not cautious of it that's how you grow. Amen. Yeah. That's oh, how totally. you grow right that, is, that is how you grow. That is how you grow. And that's not to say, look, I'll keep screwing up. And um, I've always been open about that. Like, it's a very weird and, to be perfectly honest, difficult thing to be somebody who is really keen to grow in the public eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Because um, in, in politics, like, that's seen as being weak or, like, flip-flopping mm. or whatever. And... Yeah, it's it's just so unconstructive. Um, so I hope that um, by doing things differently, I mean, it's definitely challenging at times because you really have to question who you are and what you believe in and who you want to be. Uh, but ultimately, if it's about becoming a better person and therefore a better representative and more open-minded and thinking critically and creatively and constructively and collaboratively about how you can solve problems, mm. then you produce more sustainable outcomes for communities who are diverse. That, yeah. Oh, thank you for challenging the struggle. We're actually <laughs> running out of time. But yep. yeah, I just want to thank you um, once again for coming onto the podcast. No, thank you, Mark. You're amazing. You're here. Yeah, and um, I'm stoked that you, honestly, when I, um, uh, this was just one of those things that like comes into my inbox and I was like, oh yeah, sweet as, like remember you. And I was like, I have no idea what this, I thought that maybe we might be knitting. Um, so oh, I'm glad we're not because I, I have no I idea. I you get that from good yarns. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, um, the funny thing is Meteria, uh, used to actually knit in the chamber in parliament because that's oh, one of the bliss. things that you're allowed to do um, in the so parliamentary awesome. chamber it's in the um, speaker's ruling so fun fact for everybody to take away from today <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much and thank you everyone for tuning into this episode catch you next time see ya
Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.